Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you guys this, today on Mission Sunday. And um, yeah, I've had the privilege of getting to work on staff with Crew and Athletes in Action since 2007. Um, my, God transformed my life in college uh, here at MSU, and I'll share a little bit about that. But got my, my lovely bride, Mihi, and our three daughters over there. They're just awesome, and I love getting to do life with them. Um, you know, I didn't grow up dreaming about being a campus mis- missionary, right? Like, how many kids do you know, like, what do you want to be with you grow up? Campus missionary. No, no one ever says that. Um, and uh, in fact, if you would have seen my life, my first couple years in college, you would have thought, that's the last thing this guy will be doing. Um, because I, I came into MSU, um, and, and I was looking to make, make friends, looking to have a lot of fun, and uh, really looking to please myself and live for myself. And I, I really was really far from God. I was in a fraternity, spent every weekend just, just parting my brains out. Uh, and it was, it was a a time in my life when God gripped a hold of my life, and he used three specific things to do that. Um, one, the first thing that happened is it was about this time in 2004, I got alcohol poisoning, which really like rattled me from the inside out. Um, the second thing that happened, it was around this time in 2004, that I learned that my grandma was dying from cancer. She was stage four lung cancer. And around this time, in February of 2004, uh, one of my good friends, Mark, said, hey, Matt, um, I go to this Christian meeting called Crew on campus. Do you want to come to that with me? And it was the first time in my life that I was like, I don't know what it was. It was I was just ready. I was ready for a change in my life. I was ready, uh, and I knew that the way that I'd been living my life was, was not good. And I remember going to these meetings, uh, sitting in the back, back corner, not really knowing many people, but the seeds of the gospel started getting planted in my life. And that summer later on, my grandma moved home with us. And, uh, you know, my, my grandma was a really strong woman of faith. She helped raise me uh, when we were younger, uh, and um, I would spend my summers with her. But I, I remember she was a woman who really loved Jesus. She was a woman who cared deeply about him. She would always be praying for people. She would give generously. She would host Bible studies in her home. Um, and I, when she was, she'd come back to live with us uh, on her last month of living. And um, I, I would go home, I'd work construction, come home, and and she would say, hey, Matt, will you read Psalm 23 to me? And then she would put on the radio. She'd say, hey, Matt, I have this Mercy Me CD. Will you play that song I can only imagine? And she would close her eyes and say, I can't wait to see Jesus when I die. And for me, being this, this partying, rebellious college student felt so unclean, so dirty next to this godly woman and God started using the, her life and her witness and the, the life of my friends at Crew to start planting the seeds of the gospel to bring me to a place of, of surrendering to him. And it was actually not long after her funeral, uh, her funeral was that later that summer, that it was like, God just gripped the hold of my life. And I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've never left a party thinking like, oh, I want to be a better man. I really want to live for the things of God. No, but I've left every single funeral thinking, I want to be a better man. I want to live for the things that truly matter. I want to be a better husband. And there's a scripture that goes along well with that. It's Ecclesiastes 7.2, where where Solomon says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. So in my BC days, in my before Christ days, I never left a party thinking how to become better. But every single funeral since then, it's like, man, God, 
Please help me stop living for the temporary things of this earth. Please help me start living with an eternal perspective. And that's where I want to start for this morning, is I want us to start with that eternal perspective. Oh God, would you give us an eternal perspective for, to live for the things that matter for all eternity? So our passage for today, you guys have been in the series through the book of Acts, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. Um, so we're going we're gonna to get there to Acts chapter 2, but I want to fast forward to the future, to, Act, or sorry, to Revelation chapter 7, to start us off, to give us a picture of the future. In Revelation 7 verse 9, it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Now the Apostle John gets this revelation of heaven and pulls back the curtain just enough for us to get a glimpse of what we otherwise might not see. And there's two specific details in this revelation that I would love for us to grasp on this Mission Sunday. The first thing that we notice in Revelation 7 is that he sees a multitude that no one could number. A multitude that no one could number. And the second thing he notices is that he sees people gathered around the Lamb, worshiping the Lamb from every nation, tongue, tribe, and language, every ethnos represented around the throne. So my question is, how are we going to get from Acts chapter 2 with 120 faithful men and women to Revelation chapter 7, a multitude that no one could number from every tribe, every nation, every language, before we get to that, let me pray for us as we see what this means for us today. Acts chapter 2. Before we get there, let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you are the God of salvation. Thank you that you are the God of the nations. And Lord, I pray that you would open up your word to us today, that give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, and give us a willingness to leave from this place changed and wanting to make you known. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our passage is in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and so in order, we've, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at Revelation 7, and we're going to see what that means for us today. But let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41. It's an extra spiritual version, the ESV. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the rest of the apostles, uh, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Now, I want to try to cover three questions that our text answers for us in this passage. One, who is the gospel for? 
two, how does the gospel work? And three, what are the results of the gospel going forth? Who is the gospel for? How does the gospel work? And what are the results of the gospel going forth? So the first question, who is the gospel for according to this passage? Well, we know that here in this passage, there was a great crowd gathered around the the apostles, including a great number of devout men from every uh, tribe under heaven known at the time in Acts chapter 2 verse 5. We also know that there was a group of mockers in verse 13. And last week, Pastor Ryan, uh, uh, he unpacked Peter's sermon explaining the gospel, the good news, that Jesus was in fact the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of of the Messiah. Peter shared the good news that Jesus, the one who was crucified but then raised to life again three days later, this Jesus is now Lord and Savior. He's exalted over everyone. Now, Peter goes on to explain that even though these mockers were responsible for crucifying Jesus, they don't have to stay trapped in their sin. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. They can experience the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So who is the gospel for? The gospel is for all. The gospel is for Jews. The gospel is for devout men and women. The gospel is for children. I love that you guys preached to the children at the beginning. The gospel is for those who are far off, which means the gospel is not just for Jews only, but for the rest of us in the world, the Gentiles. The gospel is for all who the Lord is calling to himself, which means that the gospel is even for these mockers who are responsible for physically crucifying Jesus. The gospel is for them. And the gospel is for us. Now, it doesn't matter how distant you may feel from God right now. It doesn't matter uh, what things you have done in your past It doesn't matter when we look at someone else and think they're so far from God. God looks at the heart. We look at outward appearance. God knows their heart. We never know who God might be calling to himself. So who is the gospel for? The gospel is for all. So how does the gospel work, though, once it comes into our hearts? Well, verse 37 highlights how the gospel works in these people. Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And then they asked, brothers, what shall we do? Their response was not merely intellectual assent, nor was it an emotional high. This was a conviction of their soul, which led them to want to change. These guys didn't stay hard-hearted, although they may seem hard-hearted. They didn't stay there, nor did they stay apathetic to the gospel. They were cut to the heart. Now, many of us, if we were in Peter's shoes... And said, brother, if someone like that came to us and said, brothers, what should we do? We might want to say, man, you've really messed up. Like, we might want to really pile on the guilt and the shame on them. Because after all, Peter, these are the guys guys that killed Peter's Messiah. These are the guys who killed Jesus, his friend, his master, his rabbi. But Peter's answer to them is not laced with condemnation. He responds with the gospel. Repent. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what Pastor Tim Keller says about repentance. When there's any hope at all of persuasion, God goes for conviction and conversion, not condemnation. 
When you start with condemnation, people's defenses go up and it is harder to repent. But it glorifies God more when people repent. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. God's desire is conviction and conversion, not condemnation. Now, verse 41 says that those who received his word were also baptized. They followed the sign of baptism that pointed to them being cleansed from sin and now belonging to Jesus. Now, baptism with water was common, both in in Judaism and early Christianity, and obviously today as well. And then John the Baptist was even preaching and practicing a baptism of repentance in the Jordan River. Now, the Gentiles who wanted to convert to Judaism, their sign of conversion was water baptism as a public testimony to their conversion. So baptism in this passage for a majority Jewish crowd is really significant. It means that they acknowledge that Jesus is God. It signifies that they had received the message of the gospel and had repented of their sins. I don't believe that Peter here is saying that you must be baptized in order to be saved, as that, I think that would be adding to the works of Jesus. But baptism here and throughout the book of Acts is a sign and seal of God's covenant people. It's an outward reflection of God already changing our hearts from the inside out. And as the hearers receive the message of the gospel, they respond in faith and repentance, which leads to two of the most amazing gifts available to us as Christ followers today, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The forgiveness of sins means that he wipes away our past. He removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. And we know where the spirit is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he gives us freedom, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from sin, freedom from judgment, freedom from self-centeredness. And now he also makes us free to be all that God has created us to be. We don't have enough time to say all that we should or could about the gift of the Holy Spirit, but I do want to connect some dots for us about the Holy Spirit moves in and through believers today as pertinent to us on Mission Sunday of all times. So in Romans 8, uh, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul says this to the church in Rome, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. That is good news. The gospel works in our hearts to bring us to repentance and faith. And the gospel makes it possible for the spirit of the living God to take up residence within us, to dwell within us. So right now, if you are a follower of Christ, the spirit of the living God is alive and at work in you. Now, what is true of this Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, for one, he's holy. He's holy which means he wants to create in us that desire for holiness as well. He convicts us of sin. He gives us that desire to want to grow in him. The Holy Spirit helps us understand all that God has freely given us. The Holy Spirit is the one who fills us and empowers us to live the otherwise impossible Christian life. But that's not all he does. The Holy Spirit 
one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness about Christ. Take a look at John 15, verse 26 through 27. Jesus explains to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And again, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this, the Acts version of the Great Commission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Now, Scripture is clear that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness about Christ. Shouldn't it follow then that those of us who have the Holy Spirit of Christ dwelling within us, shouldn't it follow that we also bear witness about Christ to the world around us? So how does the gospel work? Well, the gospel works on both a personal and a corporate level. On a personal level, it brings about that genuine conviction and repentance which leads to the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But on a corporate level, the gospel leads to spirit-filled people of God bearing witness about Christ both to those who are near and to those who are far away. The gospel is not meant for us. I love that picture. The gospel is not meant for us to keep in that little box with like the light bulbs, but it's meant to be spread around. God's plan to make Revelation 7 a reality involves transforming hearts through the course of time, starting in Acts chapter 2 all the way through redemptive history. He pulls out he takes out our stony heart, gives us a heart of, of flesh, and he pours out his spirit into us. And he uses us somehow. I don't know why God chooses to use sinful, broken people to advance his kingdom. That's not the way I would have done it, but I'm not going to argue with him. It's his plan. This leads me to our last question that this passage answers, which is what are the results of the gospel going forth? Think about this for a moment. We are in Bozeman, Montana reading this passage that took place 2,000 years ago in a language that wasn't even known. We're discussing this in English. It wasn't even known yet. And we're halfway across the world from Jerusalem. Yet we're sitting here today because of this good news. We're sitting here today because God has been advancing his kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel, through spirit-filled believers. And Peter and the apostles and these 3,000 new believers in Acts chapter 2, they probably had no idea the magnitude of what was happening in that moment. They didn't even know Bozeman existed. Yet here we are, 2,000 years later, discussing what happened back then and thinking and considering and dreaming about what does it look like to actually help fulfill this great commission that was started 2,000 years ago. So for us at this place in redemptive history, we have that privilege of looking back over the course of time, seeing the power of God at work in and through people as he causes his kingdom to grow. And the best part is, we don't have to watch it from the sidelines. If we were to go to the, one of the Cats games, as Ryan went this week, we don't have to sit in the stands. We don't even have to sit on the bench, but we get to play in the game. We get to be part of it. We actually get to be part of advancing God's kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel. Spring Hill Church, we have received the gospel. We've experienced it at work in our hearts and our lives. Now, as we experience the gift of the Holy Spirit at work in us, we have the privilege of bearing witness about Christ in Bozeman, in the Gallatin Valley, and to the ends of the earth. But if we're honest, there are things that keep that vision from becoming a reality in our lives at time. One of those things is time. 
trials, temptations, and training. Now, one of our missional barriers is time. You know, one of the things you often hear from people, how's life going? Ah, I'm busy, busy, full. Got a lot going on. Many of us can feel like we're barely keeping our heads above water with all that is going on. But maybe my question to us is, what are we busy doing? What are we busy doing? Are we being good stewards of the time that God has entrusted to us? Another missional barrier is trials. Some of us are walking through incredibly difficult times, whether it be chronic illness or financial hardship or grief or broken relationships, you name it. I'm sure that's all been experienced in this room. We have hard things that can keep us from proclaiming Christ. But I want to share with you something that, that we share often with the athletes that we work with, because the athletes are always going through hardships. They're always facing adversity. What we always say with them is you don't have a testimony without a test. You don't have a testimony without a test. And it, could it be that God is writing a beautiful testimony through your test? Another missional barrier is temptation. Even as followers of Christ, we are tempted to sin every day. Are there any things in your life right now that you know are displeasing to the Lord? Are there any things in your life right now that would keep you from being able to share the gospel with others in integrity? Whether it's selfishness, materialism, sexual sin, unbridled anger, greed, any of the above, it's incredibly difficult to proclaim the gospel when we feel hamstrung by sin in our lives. But let me just say this, just as the gospel is for all, the gospel is for you, the gospel is for me. And one of the things we have to remember is that the gospel is for us always. As Pastor Killer used to say, it's not just the ABCs of the Christian life, it's the A to Z of the Christian life, right? The gospel is for us. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Another missional barrier is training. I have the desire to share Christ with others, but I don't feel like I know enough to do a good job. And let me just say this. I'm sure in a church this size, there are people in this church who have the gift of evangelism that are good at sharing the gospel. And your pastors are wonderful people who love being able to train and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so I encourage you, if you have that desire and you want to learn, but you're like, I just don't know how, talk to your pastors, talk to your elders, come talk to any of the missionaries here. We'd love to be able to talk to you about getting trained and how to share the gospel. I'm sure that I'm missing some barriers that keep us from being missional, but these are the ones that I've felt personally in my own life for myself. But have you ever felt these things so deeply that you've been cut to the heart? I think that's one of the keys from our passage today. When the people of God hear the message, they're cut to the heart. And it leads to repentance. It leads to a filling of the Holy Spirit. It moves, it, it leads to a moving of God's Spirit in a corporate way. If there's anything in your life right now that you know is hindering you in your walk with Christ, hindering you from your witness to the outside world around you, today is the day to lay those sins, lay those burdens aside at the foot of the cross, where once again we'll find forgiveness of sin. We'll find a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to dream with me for a moment. What would it look like this week if every single one of us left this building, left this place, and went throughout our week? We looked at our calendars, looked at every appointment, and we were filled with the Spirit of God. What if we were filled with the Spirit of God tomorrow morning, or when we go to work, or go to school, 
What would it look like if we were filled with God's Holy Spirit throughout our whole week? What if the Lord is calling one of your neighbors to himself? What if the Lord is calling a rebellious grandson in college to himself? What if the Lord is calling a granddaughter or a son or daughter to himself? What if the Lord is calling a classmate or that really annoying coworker to himself? What if God is calling some mockers in Bozeman to himself? And what if God wants to use you, filled with the Holy Spirit, to share the gospel and proclaim the good news of redemption, healing, and the gift of the Holy Spirit? Now, I have a group of track athletes that meet together every Wednesday, um, and uh, we, uh, I love it. They get up at 8 every morning, every Wednesday, to study the, the scriptures together, and we meet right there in the Brick Field house, and um, we're uh, studying through the Gospel of John, and we just, this, two weeks ago, we got through John chapter 19, looking at the crucifixion of Jesus, and really letting the magnitude of what Jesus had done for us, not just be like, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but actually really meditating on the fact that Jesus died for me, for my sin. And we, I asked that question at the end of the study, you know, what would it look like if you went throughout this week thinking about the crucifixion? What if, what if you went to class, went to training, went to practice, thinking about you know, Jesus died for me so that I might have new life. And a lot of, we got a lot of great answers, but one of my favorite came from this freshman uh, girl named Malia. And she said this, if the crucifixion were always at the forefront of my mind, I guess I'd want to tell everyone about him. I'd want to tell everyone about him. Because it, the reality of the goodness of the gospel should not be kept to ourselves. It, there's something about it that's just meant to go out. It's just, it's not meant to be kept hidden. Or, it's not meant to be kept to ourselves. May that be our response as well. On this Mission Sunday, I think I can speak on behalf of all the missionaries that you support, that we're so grateful for your partnership in the gospel. We're so grateful that this church actually does care about the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth, to see Revelation 7 come to reality. Please know that the Lord is using you in our lives to encourage us as you pray for us and partner with us. But please know that it's also not just full-time vocational missionaries who are called to be missional. That's a, that's a call to the people of God. People of God are called to be missional. He has equipped every single believer with his own Holy Spirit in order to help us accomplish that. Um, I want to close our time by showing a video of uh, one of the football guys I've had the privilege of getting to work with over the last uh, few years named Nolan, uh, just kind of highlight how his life has been captivated by Christ and how he wants to be used by God after college. that major change in my life. Um, I was at a low point in my life. Um, I just had a season-ending injury. Um, I just lost my uncle, and then shortly after that, I, I lost my grandpa as well. So, um, and this is this, at that time, I, I found Matt Kirby, who led me to AIA, um, and started talking to more guys on my team who had strong faith. And uh, I just looking at, you know, I obviously have been soul-searching throughout that time, and I began to look at my grandpa, who was one of the greatest men in my life that I had, had witnessed and um, 
And what made him such a great man was his faith and the way he cared for everybody around him and loved everyone around him. And it came directly from that. And, um, you know, that just struck me then and there how important that was. And um, as I started to get into these, these community groups with people of, of a strong faith and how much they supported me and loved me and helped me through those times, it was just something that I could just feel that this is where I belonged and something that I was, you know, hoping to do for other people. So I would say my future is a bit unknown, but I think no matter where I end up, um, my faith is gonna be um, a large part of my life. And uh, just obviously finding a good group, um, a good community to stay involved with and a good church that you know I, I can show up to regularly and feel a part of. But um, I think just going, having my experiences that I've had, I think just being able to mentor younger, younger generation, um, specifically athletes, not necessarily only athletes, but I think just going through some of the things that I've gone through and to be able to help them learn from my experiences and relay the things that were helpful to me and uh, just be able to lead them down the right track through these hard times um, is something that I, I really look forward to doing. guys and it's a it's an incredible privilege to get to see these college students really take ownership of their faith and really grow and not just want to live for themselves but lift their eyes up to the world around them and think how can I leverage my life to make much of Christ wherever he sends me and um I, I love that. I, I have a particular fondness of Nolan. I remember specifically um, one of the things uh, as I served with, as a chaplain for the football team, I, I never, never, never hoped for an injury for a guy. I, I was never won an injury. But whenever an inevitable injury happens, I love to go around those guys and say, hey, man, can I pray for you? And oftentimes that opens the door because in that moment, it's, it's a crushing blow to someone who's been leveraging so much of their time and energy to build up to this moment to play this game they love. But when that thing is taken away, there's oftentimes an openness and a softness to the gospel. And, and I remember when Nolan uh, tore his ACL and uh, we were at lunch at Jimmy John's and he, he, he hadn't been, he'd kind of maybe been avoiding me for the first you know, part of the, the season, but then he was unusually open and his schedule was more free uh, when that happened. And so we, we grabbed lunch and he started sharing with me all these hard things and this, what was going on in his life. And you know where I took him? I took him to Ecclesiastes 7.2. It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for this is the, the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. And I remember um, in that moment, you know, for him going all in for Christ and him wanting to live for eternal things, it, it was just a, the most incredible thing to see and to see him be able to minister to others. That's what it's all about. It's not about us keeping it to ourselves. It's about us where God has you and you and you, where he has put us to make much of Christ. Who knows how God might use us? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you transform our hearts from the inside out. 
And Lord, I just want to start off by praising you for the faithful men and women who have gone before us. Over the course of time, over the centuries, you've raised up more and more faithful men and women who want to follow you with their whole lives. They've been cut to the heart and they want to bear witness about you. And Lord, I thank you for the faithful men and women who proclaim the gospel to us in this room. And Lord, may the gospel not stop with us, but may we be the people who spread the gospel to Bozeman, the Gallatin Valley, and to the ends of the earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.